0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we cover everything we can about U.S. soccer, Americans in Europe, Major League soccer, and many other exciting topics. Each episode, we will also be featuring beer from some of the best breweries across the land while we discuss these topics. So, grab a pint yourself while we break down the American soccer scene, and as always, support your local brewers. Earlier this week, I went through the actual roster for our friendly against Mexico and made some predictions into who would play and what the score would be. Thankfully, my prediction of a 3-1 Mexico win did not come true, and despite a pretty overall lackluster performance, we managed to draw 1-1 and keep our current five-game unbeaten streak against Mexico alive. So today, you guessed it. We will break down the performance of each player involved in the match for the U.S. and talk about... If there is anyone from this group that we will see come the summertime with the Nations League and the Gold Cup on the horizon. I will also answer a few questions that came in this week and we will end today, as I always do, with my final thought of the week. But before we dive into the result, I gave everyone a sneak peek into who our feature is this week. So today we have Green Bench Brewing out of St. Petersburg, Florida. I mentioned this is one of my favorite Florida breweries out there. I always stop by whenever I'm in St. Pete, as I was just last week, and it never lets me down. It's a great spot for kids, for sports fans, for just about anyone that enjoys a great craft beer. And today, I've got one of their signature West Coast-style IPAs, rightfully called Sunshine City. This is 6.8% in alcohol and is packed with hop flavor as they double-dry hop this one with equal parts Citra, Mosaic, and Azaka hops. This gives this West Coast a massive tropical mouthfeel that is reminiscent of tangerine, nectar, pineapple, kiwi, and just about everything that is juicy under the sun. This is easy drinking and one that I always kept around when I lived in the state. I will give just a real quick background on Green Bench since we have a ton of soccer to talk about today. Green Bench is the first microbrewery to open in St. Pete back in 2013. I know we have been celebrating anniversaries lately, but they will be celebrating 10 years this September, and I know they will have a great party for it. The reason for the name is because in the early 1900s, St. Petersburg was known as the city of green benches due to some 3,500 benches that were lined up in the downtown sidewalks. For any historians out there, if you want to let me know why in the hell the city of St. Pete needed that many benches around their downtown, please let me know. But that's beside the point. Today... Green Bench brews over 12,000 barrels or about 372,000 gallons of liquid per year, and they continue to put their values into practice every chance they get as they expect the highest standards with their staff, with their beer, and with their customers. This clearly comes out as every experience you have on site is top class and their team is always able to point you to the best beer that you could choose. So, thank you to Green Bench Brewing for being today's feature. Cheers! Alright, well, I know I can't see you since this isn't a video call, but raise your hand if you stayed up on Wednesday evening to watch the All-State 2023 Continental Classico featuring your U.S. men's national team against our mighty arch rival, our neighbors to our south, Mexico. Well, lucky for you, I sat through it for us, and as much as I didn't want to, I knew I could not watch it live, so I stayed up and watched the entire match. I could sit here and tell you the score ended 1-1 with Mexico scoring off of, and stop me if you've heard this before, with Mexico scoring off of an Aaron long giveaway to go through on goal to take a 1-0 lead after 55 minutes. Then on 81 minutes, after Mexico threatened to score and actually hit the crossbar, Sergio Des made a magical run through the Mexican defense. The ball ended up out wide to Jordan Morris, who played a cross into a surging Jesus Ferreira, who somehow got a fortunate touch on the ball to level things up. And that's how it ended. I could sit here, and that's all I could say, and I promise you, you wouldn't have missed anything else with regards to analyzing this game. However, I like to talk. And regardless of how meaningless this result or this match is and was, we can still go through this exercise to talk about the individuals who did get some experience on Wednesday night. So again... In what could be interim coach Anthony Hudson's final match in charge, he trotted out a 4-2-3-1 lineup, as has been his formation preference since the March Nations League matches. Sean Johnson, as expected, got the and goal and played the full 90 minutes, making two saves. In the four in the back, Hudson went with Dest on the left, Long and Walker Zimmerman, who captained the squad for the ninth time in his career in the middle, and DeAndre Yedlin on the right. In the two defensive midfield spots, Hudson decided to go with Kellen Acosta and James Sands together. Ahead of them, we had Cade Cowell on the left flank, Jesus Ferrer sitting in as the 10th spot, and Jordan Morris on the right flank. And finally, up top, Hudson gave the nod to Brandon Vasquez, who we will take a closer look at during the questions portion of today's episode. Earlier in the week, I mentioned this would be more of a B-C squad for the U.S., which it absolutely was. I also mentioned Mexico would have more of an A slash B squad, and I don't think that was close to fair to them as it was a heavier B squad with some C squad players in the mix too. So even though Mexico was better on paper, it wasn't a significant difference in terms of the teams on the field. And you know, as I watched this match, a lot of things stood out to me and got me questioning a lot of how we're using this group in this program overall. I watch our youth national teams a lot. And they mirror the same stylistic approach that our senior national team does. And that has consisted of a lot of running, a lot of pressing the opposition, trying to force them into mistakes and then countering and trying to score quickly or move the ball forward quickly when we win possession. It's like we don't play to our better strengths. I know we will always be a fit team. That's always going to be a strength of ours. I know we can play with passion and with our hearts to make up for our shortcomings against better teams sometimes. But why don't we trust our abilities to just keep possession and force teams to stop us more? We have the talent. We have the ability. Yet, we go into halftime in this match once again without registering a single shot on goal. In fact, the only shot on goal we had all night was Ferreira's goal, which the defender deflected onto his foot and into the net. It just makes me wonder why we think running and pressing is always going to work rather than just simplifying the game and beating teams with our skill. So obviously I'm getting off on a tangent there, but something to think about. I'm curious if anyone else understands what I mean by those observations. When it works, it is great. But more times than not, we get too stretched out. Teams easily pass through the pressure and then... We are suddenly on our back foot defensively and have a lot of space and ground to cover. And it just leads to tired legs earlier in the match than needed. So what I will say is that there were one or two bright spots from the first half. I thought James Sands played very well in the middle of the defensive midfield. He was always putting himself in a good defensive shape and made himself available out of the back to move possession around. I also thought Serginho Des looked solid on the left side of the defense. For someone who will desperately be looking to make a move to a new club this summer, Des didn't hurt a stock on Wednesday night. Outside of that, though, nobody did much of anything. Vasquez, Cowell, Morris, and Ferreira couldn't get into the game. They couldn't seem to get much of anything going on. Ferreira especially looked completely lost trying to play the creative 10 role. I know he does that well with FC Dallas and MLS in that position, but it didn't work well on the night. Defensively, I thought Yedlin was serviceable. I mentioned Des played well. Zimmerman looked composed and comfortable captaining the squad, but Long continued to look shaky, a step slow at times, and just made poor decisions that take him out of his position too many times. Acosta, as well, was fine in the first half, but he gave the ball away way too much. I could tell he was forcing things and it was just too predictable with his play. Moving into the second half, there were no changes to the starting 11. Again, the first half was a forgetful one for both teams. Each side lacked any sort of tactics, any sort of urgency with their possession. It just seemed like too many nerves on the field and a real or a lack of a real fight to actually try to win and take the game on. Mexico finally broke through after 10 minutes in the second half when Acosta played a pretty lackluster ball across De Long, who was once again a step slow and had the ball taken right off of his foot by Uriel Antuna at midfield, who was free on goal, and Antuna beat Johnson one-on-one to score. Johnson was tested a few times on the night, but narrowly missed saving this breakaway to keep the match even. After 64 minutes, Hudson made his first changes, inserting Aiden Morris and Alan Sonora into the match and taking off Cade Cowell and Brandon Vasquez. Both Cowell and Vasquez offered very little for me on the night. Both are still also eligible to represent Mexico, too, but neither did anything to make you feel like oh, we have to lock them up before we risk losing them. I hate to say that, but it's very true. I thought Sonora looked good in his limited minutes. He seemed confident on the ball. He wasn't afraid to get into tackles. He was also given a yellow card in the 69th minute that was completely undeserved. But he made an impact coming into the 10 spot and pushing Ferreira up to the striker spot. In the 70th minute, Matt Miazga made his return to the U.S. team for the first time since 2019 in place of Aaron Long, who I hope doesn't return back to this national team. He had his time. Pre-injury, he was very good, but he is not the same player. He makes too many mistakes at this level, and we can't risk him being back on the pitch for us. Plus, we have a solid center back depth chart, so it's time to phase long out of this group. He is on the Christian Roldan train for me. In the 81st minute, after a great save by Johnson about five minutes earlier, and after Mexico smacked the ball off the crossbar to be denied a 2-0 lead, the ball fell to Dest, who dribbled through about five Mexican defenders, found Sonora, who sprayed the ball out wide to Jordan Morris, who immediately squared the ball into the 18-yard box where the Mexican defender tried to clear the ball, but instead his kick deflected right off of the foot of Jesus Ferreira, who had made a surging run into the box, and he beat Carlos Acevedo in Mexico's goal to level the matchup 1-1. The entire buildup was fantastic. The U.S. could have just booted the ball to clear the immediate rapid danger that Mexico was putting on us, but instead Des smartly maneuvered himself into a counter-attack of position and was able to transition into our only goal-scoring chance on the night. Zimmerman added a yellow card of his own in the 89th minute before Hudson used his final substitutions in injury time, with Paxton Pomical coming on for Jordan Morris, and then Caleb Wiley making his first national team appearance coming on for uh, Serginho Dest for the final 90 seconds or so. But not before Kellen Acosta got his own yellow card uh, right before the final whistle blew. So all in all, in a meaningless game, the U.S. and Mexico delivered a very mediocre performance in their 1-1 draw. Even a day and a half later, I sit here and really am trying to think of the positives here. One positive is that we continue to stay unbeaten against Mexico. I don't care if the game means nothing. If it's truly a glorified match, I don't ever want to lose. I especially don't ever want to lose to Mexico. So there's one positive. Second positive, I'd say, Sergio De- Des getting in a match. He played well defensively, helping in the attack. He looked good despite not getting much playing time since the World Cup. I would also say James Sands. He looked a step above others in the U.S. squad. He recently has come back from his loan stint in Scotland with Rangers, and you could tell his development continues to improve. I would love to see him back in Europe this summer with another loan move. But other than that, maybe Sean Johnson was a positive for goalkeeping depth. I don't know. That's a real stretch for me. There just wasn't much to walk away from with this particular match. On the flip side, I don't know that we want to call them negatives, but Maybe we can make something up and call it something like, I don't know, didn't help myself, you won't see me this summer. Brandon Vasquez is definitely one who never got into the game. He had a couple of strong hold-up moments early on, but he didn't do enough to merit more attention from me. Again, we will talk more about Vasquez shortly. I thought Jesus Ferreira, despite his goal, he just wasn't good on the night. He played in his club role, the more creative 10 role sitting in behind the main striker and being more of a distributor of the ball in the midfield. I didn't think he looked good at all. It didn't suit him well with the team around him. Sure. He moved into the striker role later in the match and scored, which is great. He has a great track record for scoring for the U S eight goals in 18 matches, but I would maybe rate him a four out of 10 for the entire night. That's not good folks. Aaron long. Do I need to say anything else about him that I haven't already said? I'm not going to. He continues to be terrible in a U.S. kit. Kellen Acosta, another who didn't play his best on the night. Too many giveaways. Cade Cowell didn't stake his claim on a crowded U.S. winger depth chart. Like Vasquez, he just could never get himself into the game. Jordan Morris, you know what? I didn't think he was bad. He was probably the most lively attacking U.S. player on the evening. Probably the best, arguably, on the field for the U.S. He had a great ball across into the box for the goal. You're going to see him again this summer. The subs for me, Sonora looked fine. Aiden Morris was okay. Not enough time to evaluate Miazga, Wiley, or Pomical. I would have liked to have seen Joshua Winder since he was called in. I also would have liked to see Roman Celitano and goal get his first appearance. Either way, it was 90 minutes of my life that I wish I had been sleeping through. It wasn't worth the late night, but a fair result and an expected performance overall. All right. I've received quite a few questions over the last couple of weeks, and I've neglected answering some. So I want to transition into a QA, and I'm going to start off with the most popular criticism I faced this week, which was calling this a meaningless game. Essentially, I was asked, what do you mean it's a meaningless game? How can you say this about a national team match against Mexico? So first off, Calm down, it's a meaningless game. Please tell me how meaningful that was. Is it because Allstate sponsored it? Is it because they decided to call this glorified scrimmage the 2023 Continental Classico? Get out of here, go home. If you truly think that this game had any sort of meaning whatsoever, please let me know. Why did I call this game meaningless? How can I say that? Easy, because it truly was. Listen, I am not taking anything away from the individual players who earn their call-up into this roster. I am not taking anything away from the success that they have found. I am not saying that their performances are meaningless. Clearly, I don't think that, or I wouldn't have just spent the past 10 plus minutes or so talking about it. But what I am saying is, the result means nothing. It's a friendly without your main players. It's a practice game for the second and third tier player pool guys to try to get noticed a bit more. Maybe be able to show that they adapt to the information quickly and play well and could be a future depth piece to this team or program. If Mexico would have beaten us on the night, would I have been mad about it? Would it have bothered me? Yeah, for maybe a minute. Then I would zoom out and realize it means nothing. Had the U.S. won 5-0 and made Mexico look like the inferior squad that they currently are, would I have been celebrating? You bet your ass I would have. But only in good fun. I know it still means nothing. So, to all of you that keep coming at me, get over it. It was meaningless. Up next, we are going to get a little bit deeper into Brandon Vasquez, as promised. So, this came in. I saw Brandon Vasquez said, he is close to making a decision about who to represent and still hasn't heard a word from Mexico or their new coach yet about being a part of the Mexican squad. Should we even want him? So, I was glad that this person pointed me towards this interview and the comments that Vasquez made. If you aren't familiar with Vasquez, he is a dual national Mexican-American who plays for Cincinnati FC and had a breakout MLS season in 2022, finishing fourth overall in goals scored with 19. He is eligible to represent the USA or Mexico at the international level. Now, this was Vasquez's second appearance for the U.S. national team, but he remains eligible for Mexico via a one-time switch with FIFA since he has not played in a FIFA-recognized match for the U.S. yet. He's also only played in two friendlies, so they don't count. So, what does this all mean? Well, he hasn't committed to the U.S. yet. It doesn't matter that he played against Mexico last night. He was trying out for them as much as he was for us. He still is during his club play too. However, should we care that Mexico has shown zero interest to this point? Honestly, I don't care one way or another. If he continues to stay in the U.S. program, that's great. If he chooses Mexico and they call him into their squad, that's great too for him. I get it. It's a big personal decision for him and his family to make. But to me it sounds like he's only got one option right now. And that option isn't that strong because he is way down on the striker depth chart at this point. Potentially, add in that one dual national that could represent England or Nigeria as well, that currently plays in the French League on loan with from Arsenal, add in that guy, and Vasquez slides even further down the chart. So, to answer your question, should we even want him? Sure, we should. Why not? I don't really hate him as a top option, Or I don't really rate him as a top option, so it doesn't matter to me. Again, I'm not going to put any stock into the performance on Wednesday night. But just as I said, the match was meaningless overall for the players, it's their opportunity to make an impression. And Vasquez didn't do that. He didn't help himself very much. Listen, I want every dual national to commit their future to the U.S. I want players that are committed to the program. They know how special it is to play for your country, but I also understand we were talking about people's lives, their families, their careers, their growth, etc. I'm not going to hold it against someone who might feel their future is better somewhere else. But I don't think you're going to see Vasquez on the squads this summer. Up next, what are your thoughts on Ted Lasso? So I saw this random question thrown in last week, and I appreciate the takeaway from the U.S. man for a moment. So I've seen the first two seasons of Ted Lasso. I believe Season 3 is out now, but I need a refresher before i starting it, and I haven't had the time to catch up. So either way, I like the show. I think it's really well-written, great cast, spectacular topics within each episode that hit home in a lot of ways for a lot of different people. It's not about soccer. That's not what the show is about. And while I like the show a lot, it's also awful for American soccer. It has given us this stigma of, once again, not knowing anything about soccer and just makes us look even more ignorant about the sport. So, great show, but bad for us. And finally, the final question of today's Q&A segment, can you explain the importance of the Nations League this summer and the Gold Cup? What do we win? Well, I better not say it's meaningless so I don't get a bunch of angry messages from the MLS-loving side of the U.S. National Team fans. Ah, Just kidding. The Nations League is a newer league, and... The tournament that allows for every single team in CONCACAF to have an opportunity to compete in a FIFA-organized regional type of matches. It allows for promotion from one level or a group to another where they will face tougher competition. It's also that smaller nations have a chance to play more matches and develop more talent. Winning the Nations League over Mexico was amazing last summer. But what did it really mean? It truly is nothing more than just pride, bragging rights, regional dominance. You get a nice shiny trophy too, but it means much, much more for the smaller nations in the region as they could get promoted and they could qualify for the Gold Cup as well. As for the Gold Cup, it's the main tournament or championship for CONCACAF. Only 16 nations can compete now, up from 12 a couple of years ago. Sometimes one or two from outside the region are invited, like this year we've got Qatar in the tournament. So again, it's being the champion of CONCACAF. There are bragging rights. There is pride. Again, regional dominance. There used to be a bigger incentive with qualifying for the Confederations Cup if you won the Gold Cup, which was always the year before the World Cup, but that competition no longer exists. So it's really lost some of its luster. It doesn't impact our World Cup qualifying status. It doesn't truly have the same mystique as it does for winning the Euros or even Copa America. It typically becomes a tournament where you know the U.S. and Mexico are the favorites, and most likely they're going to face off in the final. In fact, only Canada has won it once in 2000 other than Mexico or the U.S. And at the end of the day, you want to win the games that you play. They aren't all meaningless, they serve a purpose, they serve as competition, but it still lacks some of the true competition that we so desperately crave. All right, well, let's head into the final thought of the week and wrap today up. I wanted to spend the final minute or so to comment about the new 24-7 soccer channel dedicated to providing us with nonstop soccer coverage. Now, I have zero affiliation to it, nor am I promoting it or anything like that. I just simply want to share my initial opinions on it. I love it. I'm not sure I ever thought I would ever see the day when there would be a dedicated channel 24-7 just for soccer. It will discuss everything U.S. soccer it can, MLS, national teams. It'll cover European club soccer, all the leagues, Champions League, Europa League, just about everything you can think of. I hope it has a sustainable model and I hope one day they decide to bring Soccer Pints into the fold as a contributor in the future. For those interested, it's called CBS Sports Galazzo Network. It features live morning and afternoon weekday shows, live matches, and you can find it across all CBS platforms, Paramount Plus, and stream it free on Pluto TV. So, I hope it does very well, and if you happen to check it out, let me know what you think. All right, well, that's it for today's episode. Appreciate you joining me to hear my thoughts on the performance against Mexico and for allowing me to answer a few questions today. As always, if you have a question for me or would like something specific to be discussed on the show, please send me a message on Instagram or Twitter or email me directly at will.clark at Thanks again to Green Bench Brewing with their Sunshine City IPA for letting me feature you this week. Be on the lookout for a new episode to release by next Friday. It was announced on Wednesday that the U.S. and Mexico have put in a joint bid for rights to host the 2027 Women's World Cup. So I hope to have more information about that to discuss. We could be looking at back-to-back summers hosting Men's and Women's World Cup, which would be really, really special. Until next time, cheers, my friends.